Welcome to Bikes, Burpees, and Bike Cans. This is your host, Dave Matthews, here with our fourth edition of the 2020 season. I'm here with a group of tennis players from the Northeast Atlanta area. Northeast being 285, go up 85, maybe about 15, 20 miles, and there you have it. Got a lot of players that play a lot of junior tournaments from anywhere from the 12s up to the 18s divisions, boys and girls. They play, some of them play high school, some of them don't. Uh, that's neither, neither here nor there. That uh, sometimes add in the mix, sometimes it helps, sometimes it hurts. Um, those things I have gone over in previous podcasts. If you care to join in the conversation, make sure you leave some comments on these podcasts and I'll be glad to either host you on a podcast show or take your comments, give you a shout out, and uh, use it to further nurture other people's games to hopefully raise to higher and better heights. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the fear factor. Uh, I've been alerted you know, from my wife over the years that the fear factor I walk on the court with, being six foot five and 215 to 20 pounds at times, is a, a fearful factor. It's an intimidation factor. I get it. That's not the fear factor we're talking about. We're talking about the fear factor of doing something simple in a practice format like working on drop shots, working on lobs, working on volleys, uh, working on returns of serve, which have been some of the forte of my game over the years and knowing that most people come to the table to play tennis and their second serve reeks. It literally says, hit me any shape, form, or fashion you desire. If you can do it in a consistent manner, I will be on the run from the get-go. And you will be on the upper hand of the point. But, saying that, most people fear returning that second serve. And from that, I have my panel of discussionaires here that... Uh, we're going to wait and see how many of those want to raise their hand. I've got them around the table here. And, um, you know, I'm not going to call them by name. I'm just going to let them speak. That way their anonymity can remain that way. And that's a good and bad thing sometimes. You know, some people like a little, uh, you know, a little shade thrown their way, a little uh, credit, you know, pat on the back. All comments are welcome. You know, like, our, like one of my teachers said one time, there is no such thing as a stupid question. And therefore, that opened the gate for me to ask all mine because I had a boatload of them. So, on the fear factor, what causes a player, and here, here at, you know, in Beaufort City Park, uh, where I practice a lot, uh, even over the last 30 years, I've used balls, ball machines quite a bit to feed balls in certain situations. We have a nice high-tech machine here, two of them that do can feed it. Just about any scenario you want to set up, what makes a player be able to take a return of serve that lands in the block, return it, move in, make a volley, but then go to match day, and knowing the player they're playing has a second serve that is sometimes weaker than the ball machine fed. Don't go in but about two or three times the entire match. 
Anybody got anything you want to add? Yes, sir. In practice, a lot of people seem like it doesn't really matter because you can make mistakes and it won't really affect you. But once you get to the match play, it can affect you either winning or losing. So some people are intimidated by that. Sure, result. Yeah. Um, but if you're, you know, I'm going to, take every one of these points that these young men and women bring up and I'm going to try to flip the coin so that they see that the train of thought that I've learned to play with, it is different. It's something that what I try to teach everybody that I come in contact with. What happens if, because, you know, even though we say don't count, okay, you don't count like, okay, I missed X amount of first serves over the course of two service games. I can tell you honestly from playing after a set, I could probably tell you exactly how many serves I made first serves. And I can tell you how many I've missed. Well, I mean, I can tell you how many I've made. And if it ain't, if it doesn't add up to, you know, average game is four to five to six points long. If I've only made four first serves in the whole first set, let me tell you, my percentage has got to be down near 25, 30%. I can tell you right there, something's got to change. I got to get some slice on it, something to get the percentages up so that my opponent is not pot shotting my second serve return. Does that make sense? So even though we say don't count, you kind of do. You kind of do have that little chart in the back of your head going tick, tick, tick every time you miss one. Does that make sense? So yes, it doesn't matter in practice. But it does. Because every time you return in volley, you want to know, am I making returns? Am I making volleys? Or am I scrubbing one out of the two? And if you're scrubbing one out of the two shots, you ain't doing what you should be doing. You're after consistency. Does that make sense? Who's next? Okay, go ahead. Okay, I feel like even though, like you said, practice does matter, it's still a way to escape in the present, whereas matches illustrate the future and what the future holds. And so naturally we fear the future and we don't look for a solution to our problems. We look for a way to just alleviate our fears in the moment and practice allows us to do that. But the only thing with fear that you really have to play when you go to play, and it's true with practice, the reason that it does matter is that the only thing you can judge yourself off of is past and you can also only judge yourself and, and play in the here and now. You cannot play for future. You can't worry about the future. You have to worry just about what's now. If you've missed the returns for two or three tries, you might not do it for the next game or so that you return, but you may have to come back to it because you know it's a viable weakness of your opponent. So doesn't mean you abort it totally. It means you just might take a little pass on it, see if you can stay in the match, win a game or two another way, and then come back and try it later. Because a weakness is always going to be a weakness. It's just a matter of how long you're going to take to jump on it. Once you do jump on it, you're going to find out, as we've heard other people say before, once you get used to coming in, it actually gets good to you. Okay? Anybody else got anything you want to add? Yes, ma'am. 
So I think it's easier to play against a ball machine because you're like just drilling the same balls. And we've hit like a million forehands in practice, but it's easy to doubt yourself and get distracted when you're under pressure. Like um, it's easier to just like look at the other girl instead of like looking at the ball completely and like focusing and just like having confidence in yourself and like knowing that you know the strokes and you just, it's the same thing as hitting against a ball machine. So what, what, what makes it when you walk out there, what makes it where you look across the net and instead of seeing the girl, you see a ball machine? Um, Would that not raise your confidence? I mean... You've done it against a ball machine a million times. But it's the same ball over and over. No, it's not. <laughs> we, just, we just came off the court and we got fed the same quote ball every time, but somebody else is out there that's saying it ain't the same. And then if you get... Who is that? Myself. Mother Nature. Mother Nature bends that ball right to left, left to right, up and down. It changes every time. Does that make sense? So even though you get a different ball or a, the same ball, quote, fed out of a ball machine, the situation that comes to you is always different and you have to judge it based on what you're given at that moment in the here and now. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, how you see it in relation to, you know, what I like to use as a guide for me is my waist. My waist is about two inches higher than a normal net. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. So when I get a ball and it's coming to me, if I see it come out and it's quote the same ball, but by the time it travels, you know, 70 feet to the other side, it could be a four feet higher, four feet lower, four feet left, four feet right. And I've got to take all of that into consideration as it's getting to me. We just came off the court and it was just bloody windy. And that ball is everywhere. Well, guess what? Your opponent's getting the same thing, the same treatment. So you have to rule that in so that you don't, beat yourself more than, and that's kind of what you were saying, so that you don't beat yourself more than you kind of hopefully let your opponent beat themselves first. It's just easy to get, like, mad at yourself, and when you're, like, losing and but the, and you feel intimidated that you just want to go back to the basic stroke and then you end up doing unforced errors. That so why don't you go with the basic strokes to start with so that hopefully... Betty Sue over there on the other side starts handing you the match first. Then if you need to raise the bar a little bit, okay, raise it a little bit. But the bottom line, and this is why 20 plus years ago, I sat at a table like this with about the same group of age of kids and we designed a logo. And the logo was basically a tennis ball that had optic pink seams. Because in the end, the only thing that matters are the seams of that tennis ball. And if you hone in on that tennis ball, a lot of other things, the outside interferences are going to disappear. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get in the zone. Yeah. Who else? Anybody else? Got something else? Okay, go ahead. So we're talking about being intimidated, but also 
A huge aspect of being on the court and being intimidated and actually forcing yourself to go in and change up the pace in order to win is being afraid of what happens if it works because then you automatically think I can't go back. I can't go back to like not coming in. I can't go back to not doing it because then it looks like, oh, it was a fluke or it was a one-time thing. And it determines how, like what we have to do. So we automatically put more pressure on ourselves in addition to being intimidated what? because oh, 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 oh. we have new expectations. Who, who, who puts pressure on you? Well, we do. Why? Because we're afraid. Why would you? Being afraid is not pressure. But we create it to be pressure because we don't want to be afraid. You have to alleviate that. There, there's no, the only reason you should be afraid of anything is if there's something you're going to lose. What would you lose? Every time you step on the court. Really? What? You mean to tell you what makes me afraid? Really, honestly? Afraid. If I if I knew that I had wagered my family, my house, that's about it. Everything else I can replace. Everything. I mean, obviously friends and all that, that's that's I would never wager anything like that. But my family and my house are the two things that are the biggest and hardest to replace. But I would never wager them. Never. So, that being said, there is really nothing to fear. There really is nothing. The fear that, oh, I'm not going to succeed, that's, excuse my language, that's bullshit. That's just BS. The fear of losing is the biggest fear of all. Okay? The way you have to get around that is, you have to come into the here and now and go into execution mode every ball. But that takes you looking at those pink seams every time. We know what it is to hit a ball with that, and we know what it is to hit a ball without looking at it. Why don't we do it every time is the question. That is the here and now that keeps you in the here and now. Not doing it puts you into la-la land, which is things like, oh, if I win this point, I'm going to, throw my racket and win in exuberation and jump the net, you know, the, the Wimbledon the Wimbledon finish. Or if I don't win this point, I'm going to lose to somebody that, uh, you know, the town's going to talk about me or my friends are going to, you know, always ask me, who cares? Who cares? If you gave it your all, the people that are there that matter to you understand totally. And that's all that matters. Unfortunately, with today's media, like it is set up, it is too, it is too, um, wins and losses are too quickly, you know, heard and shared and things like that. And there's nothing good or bad about it. It's just the way it is. Um, we dramatize it way out of control, way out of proportion. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's why, you know, I had, I, I remember the first kid that I, not, not first kid here anywhere, but first kid here in the Atlanta area that I coached, and I went and asked him when he got through, I said, how did you play? And he said, I lost. And I said, that is not the question I asked you. I asked you how you played based on who you are, what you know you can perform like, how did you play? Did you execute like you can? And he says, 
well, you know, in a couple of phases, I did this real well, and this other phase, I didn't do it too well. And then he started, you know, diving into the real entrees on the plate. And I said, now, we can learn from what you just said. Winning and losing is irrelevant, really. It is a matter of do you execute. And if you did, how do we keep that going? If we didn't, how do we, how do we get it going? And that's always the answers, the, you know, the kind of answers I'm looking for. Does that make sense? If we're just worried about a result, hey, we can go play level six tournaments and get results all day long. And are you going to feel good about it? No. So there you go. You know what you can do. Don't lie to yourself about it. Don't dramatize it. Give me the facts. Let me know how did you execute. Now we can go. Does that make sense? And is it easy to not be result-oriented? Oh, it's tremendously hard. It is. But you have to learn to be that way. You have to learn that to dramatize anything is adding more pressure or thoughts about it that are really not needed. You just need, you really need to be very boring and mundane. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. Staying so far away from the can't do's and I'm doing what I can do. And if it wins me four matches in a row, so be it. But I can't go back over here because if I start scooting over here, I'm in trouble. Does that make sense? That's where I'm playing a less percentage game. My chances of winning are not good. Now, if the third player in that draw makes me start going there, I may have to pick some low percentage plays to end the point in my favor. I might miss a few more, but I might make a few that I don't normally make. And that's a chance I might be willing and having to take. And if I tell my coach, hey, I got to a point and I had to pull the string, then I'm going to say, good, now we got to go pull that string and practice a little more often. So that becomes the norm. Does that make any more sense? Anybody else? You listening to all this? I've got some younger people here that are, yeah. Whether they're apprehensive to talk or not is, is, is kind of irrelevant, but they're learning, and that's probably the bigger part of this conversation. Anybody else got anything you want to add? Yes. Good for asking to drink water. Never mind. Yes. Okay. So um, it's it's like we're fearful to go like. Say you want to work on like going into the net, like sure. taking a return and then volleying. Uh-huh. But <clears throat> like you can practice that in like in a drill at practice as many times as you want, but it's still not going to be the same thing as like being actually in a match. And so you're only like you're going to fail a bunch of times before you can succeed. Sure. So you want to like do like you can't expect yourself to. You're like, oh, but I practice so hard, and then you end up like losing or volleying more into the net than you wanted to. I agree. So, you got a solution for that? Just more match play, and even Ooh, match, match play, play against your teammates is better than. Sure, try it against your teammates. Do what we do sometimes, and I don't want to say take it more seriously, but. You know, maybe what we need to start doing is saying something, you know, you guys always think that I'm making you run hills as a punishment because I don't like you and things like that. It's not. 
I do things like that, maybe what I start doing is saying, okay, we're going to play for five hills. We'll, we'll play, and you'll have to go to the net on every second serve, and the person that wins the tiebreaker runs two hills, and the person that loses gets five hills. That'll put pressure on you, but at the same time, you know what you have to do. Does that make sense? limitation does it have no, a limit? is it relevant because every match we play is a reaction everything is a reaction how does match play actually have an effect when you're reacting to a different ball at a different pace in different circumstances it all becomes a point of is there a weakness there and it could be somebody's backhand which is not abnormal it's probably more normal that people's backhands are weaker in in certain phases of their their progress but at the same time, um, you know, match play always matters. Uh, it is a different intensity than practice. It's hard to duplicate match play intensity in practice. Uh, it can be done. It's tough, though. And it's tough to practice three, four, five days a week and also be um, eager to go to match play knowing that that intensity has been that way for the whole week, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to not be flat. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's what you don't really want to do either. What? It's like uh, you go to a match and you know you should be coming and balling, but you're scared it's not going to work. It's like a confidence thing. And then you go out, and for just one match, no matter win or loss, you go and you try it, and you realize it works. So then you just build the confidence up to where you can just start doing it. That, that is the point where it's kind of like a player being in a rut. You know, they go on a losing streak of whatever, three, four, five tournaments or matches or whatever. At some point in time, they literally look at themselves in the mirror and they say, you know what, I'm going to go out this next time and I'm just going to knock the stew out of the ball. I'm going to watch the ball and I'm going to hit it effectively, but I'm not going to worry about winning and losing. And then essentially what happens is they get up like 5-4 in the first set, and then it starts mattering. They start thinking about it. Oh, if I win this game, I'm going to win the set, and then, you know, all the I'm going to be out of my rut, and then all of a sudden they didn't do what they did the first nine games, and they don't hold their serve, and they lose the set. Oh, well, I'm, I'm in my rut again. So literally what has to happen is you have to – to some degree, stop caring so much, but yet there is a level that you do need to care. It's almost that same balance between trying too hard and not trying hard enough. You know, there is a, an efficient line there that a good player knows how to stay there, and they're making good productive shots, but they're not wasting energy either. And that's the same mentality as trying hard, but not trying too hard. Does that make sense? So everything that we've talked about today with the fear factor, with pressure, with, uh, you know, doing some uncomfortable things that you're not comfortable doing, they are going to come to the, to the forefront sooner or later, and that's going to be the only ticket you have left that you haven't exposed yourself to. And the longer you wait, the longer you're going to belabor the point of how good could I really be? 
because you don't know until you try to expand your horizons, you know, and get out of your comfort zone that may have won for a while, but all of a sudden those players that you should be beating are starting to find ways to beat you. And that's the answer is you're not exploiting their weaknesses any longer. You're just letting them do it to you first. Does that make sense? Anybody else got anything they want to add? Any more water we got to drink? No? All righty. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Like I said, if you've got any comments, make sure you leave them on our podcast. Be glad to have anybody who wants to come on Bikes, Burpees, and Bad Cans as a guest. Be glad to have you. I'd like to thank this panel of uh, tennis players here. And uh, hope all of you have a great and safe whatever's left of, left of February. If you're downtown Atlanta, the uh, Atlanta Track Club, uh, a little shout out to my wife and her volunteer staff. We'll be volunteering at a water station on the Olympic trials this uh, Saturday morning. And there's also the Georgia Marathon downtown Atlanta this Sunday, which I won't be at, but I'll be at a tournament in Buford. Hope all of you have a great day and take care.